Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to episode 17 of the Believe Knicks podcast. Matthew Miranda joined tonight by Stacey Patton while the Knicks are actively underway in Phoenix. Stacey, how are you doing on this fabulous Friday evening? Good. I'm not, uh, my blood pressure isn't up because Milwaukee, Chicago is taking half an hour to finish. And normally that would be a cause for annoyance, but uh, not tonight. <laughs> a very Zen attitude. I like that. Not anymore. <laughs> Take it as it comes, and the universe will give you these little gifts. Sometimes Milwaukee, Chicago is a gift. And that's the case on this night. Um, as as Stacey basically alluded to, um, <clears throat> there may not be a ton of stuff to still go over um, in terms of the New York Knicks this season as they currently stand. So um, limber up those muscles that you've, you're used to using the last 10 or 20 years. We're going to look ahead to the draft, um, ahead to the lottery, and with us today to help us make some early sense of things Official New York Nick draft Nick Prez. What up, Prez? Yo, how's it going? Glad to make my uh my debut at this fine establishment of a pod. Mm-hmm. Prez is our third guest. We are rapidly becoming the Nick Pod of the people. So <laughs> thank you everyone out there who's been listening and, and giving us their, their time and attention. Um before we start, I, I asked Prez this off the air. Um and he decided to hold his answer till we were actually recording. But I I asked him, like, is there does he ever get more excited for certain drafts than others? Or, you know, is it every year kind of the same thing? Um, because some drafts are more hyped than others. Like, you know, 2003 was a hype draft, 2014 was a hype draft. Um, they can't all be winners, you know. They're not some sometimes Mike Miller is as good as it gets. So I'm curious, Prez, um, you've had a little time to reflect. You can use this year as an example or just in general. Like, how do you feel about the draft kind of from year to year? So I, I'm, I'm happy you asked it because I never thought about that question and nobody's ever asked it to me. Um, I think every year I'm excited for it. Um, I don't think the quality of the players change changes my excitement. Like last year was, we'll probably look back on last year's as one of the top five drafts of the last like 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it's not like I'm like, oh, the 22 draft. I don't feel like, like you know, looking at these prospects or whatever. And it's probably because I think I enjoy just the the process. It's kind of like fantasy basketball or or weirdly like sports gambling. Like it's it's just a way to kind of show, like we all think we know our stuff, and this is just one way to to kind of do that from the comfort of our couch. Right? It's just like, oh. Let me look at these prospects and try to imagine how these humans will change at their profession over the next 10 years. <laughs> like we have a clue. Mm-hmm. So uh, the whole process is fun to me. So that's probably why. Nice. So, yeah, when the season started, um, maybe we didn't think that we would be in this position. But with uh, 20 games left, pending tonight's result, 
Uh, the Knicks are currently tied with Portland um, for the eighth worst record in the league. They could certainly, I don't know, I never know if I should say get ahead or fall behind. Um, the Spurs and the Kings are both ahead of them in the in the in the lottery odds right now but those are two teams um particularly sacramento that are trying to win and make a run at the play and so the knicks could move up probably as high as six i don't see them getting any higher than that um i mean let's just start talking prospects and stacy i know you've had you've been carrying the torch all year for jade and ivy even before we were <laughs> even long before the the draft was even a, a twinkle in our eye you were telling me, check out Jade and Ivy. Um, has your stance changed or strengthened uh, from the early going? Absolutely not. Um, he is not my number one prospect, to be clear, and not even from – I personally think Chet Holmgren would be amazing to watch, and I think he'd be awesome next to some of the guys the Knicks have. Um, but for who is realistic and who just fits like a glove immediately, um, it's Jade and Ivy. And, and I guess we can start there. Um as you mentioned, the Knicks probably are looking at sixth at the highest. Indiana isn't actively trying to win games, but the way the Knicks have been playing and the way the schedule continues to be pretty daunting. Um, I even think five is, is in line. And Jaden Ivey is probably universally considered a top four prospect. Um, personally, I think there's really – there's a couple other guys who I think would be good fits too, but um, – I mean, I, I'll pose this to Prez afterwards, but um, I think with Jaden Ivey, there's a few things. I think a lot of people, if I post about Jaden Ivey on Twitter, be like, but is he a point guard? Um, and I think that my take has been that that, that should be a little bit fluid with what we want to do with that, um, especially the way R.J. Barrett has emerged. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think part of the reason that Emmanuel quickly has been effective, or at least the lineups, even though he doesn't always look that good, um, is that... You know, it allows RJ to play on ball with someone who can play both on and off. And so RJ can kind of pick his spots, but also initiate a lot. Um, I think Ivy gives you that with his shooting ability. But what he gives that the Knicks really desperately need is a speed guy in terms of rim pressure. Um, And like his athleticism is just something the Knicks haven't had um, since Marbury uh, from that from the backcourt, like that kind of athlete. We've obviously had some, some, you know, we've had guys like Shumpert and all that who are huge above the rim guys. And Ivy is that, but just the ability to just from a standstill just blow by at will um, while also having the ability to change speeds. Uh, he's also really strong um, and uh, he's slashing a pull-up game. And he's, um, he's improved year to year. I think that's something that the Knicks value a lot. Um, but I'll, I'll, yeah, so Prez, definitely interested in your, any other thoughts on Ivy? I mean, I think we can both gush for a while, but I'm also interested in, in terms of the point guard position, um, you know, how the Knicks might want to start to look at this because, you know, if RJ emerges, do you still, is rim pressure the number one thing? Would you prefer a connector in that spot? Or would you prefer maybe like Grimes kind of, is, is Grimes a pretty good passer, even though he's not an on-ball guy, he can fill that. Then maybe you do a connector at the point position. And if you get a guy like Ivy, is someone like Jalen Brunson still a huge priority? Or would you, in that case, if you have Ivy, go for more of a connector type? Um, but yeah, definitely uh, asked a lot there. So I'll, I'll let you uh, let you go. I think I'm a little more <laughs> I'm a little more rigid in terms of what I look for from the point guard position. It doesn't the distinction from every position. Yeah, we, me and Prez get into this all the time because yeah, I go through the position, the stuff, and Prez is like, "Oh, you think quickly we play center or whatever?" But um, 
<laughs> Stacy's like, are we sure RJ can't get spot minutes at center? <laughs> but nah, like uh, with the with the point guard spot, I, I like the differences that me and Stacy have become really irrelevant for purposes of the Knicks because it's slim pickings, right? Like mm-hmm. IQ's the best. IQ's the best point guard. He's also like the only point guard who's really playing right now. So it's not like the discussion of is one of degrees, not of like disagreement or anything. I don't think Ivy's a point guard. I think he's great at penetrating the defense and he's becoming a better passer. But I think good shooting guards also should do those things. I don't think that makes you quote unquote point guard. It just makes you a, a good player. Um, and I definitely like it for me, rim pressure, like if we ha- if we were fortunate enough to jump up and get Ivy, I don't consider it the box checked to me. I think give me more. Oh. So I I would love Ivy next to someone like Jalen Brunson. I would love Ivy next to Derrick Rose. I would also would, love would Ivy. You be next- at, would you be worried about that point? Because then we would kind of be like Brunson is not known as an elite passer. Ivy is still developing that part of the game. You know, you know, people would like. It seems to me like next to Ivy and Barrett, someone more like Lonzo would probably be the best fit, but like a passer type. Yeah, I mean, Bronze is no slouch. He'd be the best passing ball handler on our team by a lot. I think. Um, well, up there with Julius, I guess. But uh, in terms of guards and non-gigantic people, uh, he'd be, <laughs> he'd probably be be the best up there. He's just really good at taking care of the ball. Um, you know, he's not the guy did point guard for four years in college and then has done point guard in the NBA. Like he's not he's at the end of the learning curve for the most part. And he's short, so he's not going to do all the fancy stuff that, you know, some of the taller point guards could do. But he's he's pretty solid in that respect. And I mean, someone like more connector ish would be would be awesome. That could be IQ. That could be Grimes. So and you can. The good thing is, if we had a normal coach, you could play around and try different configurations, and you could have Jalen Brunson and Ivy some of the time, and then you could switch it and play them with other people some of the time. So uh, you can figure out what works best. So um, I don't think I don't think I think there's room f- if if we were fortunate enough to get Ivy, I think there's room to experiment to see exactly what kind of partners work best for him and RJ. So that's the good thing. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Matt. I'm just interested, especially since you both have a different view on um, position versus positionless. Do you ha- do you have a feeling either way about um, if you select Ivy, and it sounds like there's still, like it sounds like he's point guard-ish, but maybe like not. Uh, is Ivy someone that you're going to draft and he's going to be <clears throat> like, <clears throat> I'm sorry, <clears throat> like your starting point guard next year? <laughs> or in two years? No, I would I, think, I would yeah. do that if with the current roster. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Because my question kind of relates uh, there to Barrett. Like, if you're drafting Ivy, who's smaller than Barrett, and that cements Barrett, you know, if Ivy's your two, <clears throat> then Barrett's your three. If Ivy's your one, maybe Barrett then is your two. But do you care about, like, tech, like according to basketball reference, this year Barrett's played a ton of small forward. Like, does it matter to you where RJ slots as far as a pairing with someone like Ivy, or do you feel like you just throw the talent together and, and let it work itself out? I mean, depending on who you have, there's, you want to throw, you don't want to ignore 
putting talent on the floor for the sake of checking off positional boxes, but I think RJ at the three works better precisely because he's a big dude and you don't want him chasing dudes around screens. You want him Ding up the DeMar DeRozans of the world, not like chasing Kobe White all over the place or something like that. Hmm. Um, it doesn't always work as well because now that means you usually have Evan Fournier defending, chasing somebody around, which isn't great either. Um, but if only the Knicks had drafted an awesome point of attack shooting guard defender to chase those guys around at twenty fifth in the last draft. But if only they they drafted two of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but nah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't let Ivy Rock at the point guard because I just feel like that's a lot of responsibility for somebody who hasn't handled that before and you can play him with a point guard and still give him chances to organize the offense and do all that stuff just like how you know when when rj plays with rose and uh or iq or even burks and randall like he still gets chances they all get chances to do their thing so no matter what no matter who we put him with i someone like ivy's gonna get chances it's just a question of if you make him the one and you have somebody like grimes or Lonzo, who they do things, but they're not really, they're not really like organizing your offense and uh, doing that sort of stuff in the half court anyway. Um, then that's just more to put on Ivy's plate. And if if I'm the Knicks, I want Ivy. I'm just trying to have this guy focus on getting buckets. And if you if slash when you draw two three defenders, you make the simple pass, which is something he's doing more and more as he like learns his superpowers and let's just keep it simple. And then down the line, you know, as a player evolves, like Donovan Mitchell is a perfect example. He, you know, he's played with Conley or whatever, but he's, he's a full fledged point guard. Now he's the best passer on that team and he doesn't really need Conley anymore. And if yeah, we don't have to go down this road, but like in the, fucking fever dream where donovan mitchell does come to new york you don't need to put him at the two you could put him at the one and be and he'd be the best passer by like 10 hundred miles and it'd be awesome so like it's not to close the door on it for ivy just like you didn't want just like we shouldn't you know i didn't like people closing the door on it on iq right and we see what happened he got better so will ivy so uh it's more about where he's at now than where he could be yeah it's like uh peter parker is First gets the suit from Iron Man. It's exactly. not the full Iron Man suit. He's got to unlock those those abilities. Um, but we don't want to. We don't want to hack into it too early. Mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, is this is it a good way to sum up that like, especially with the I, we keep coming back to IQ, but like, you know, what IQ can do is bring the ball up with pace, get them into the offense, and then RJ can kind of handle the the hard stuff, right? Or I mean, the half court stuff, and like actually try to attack the defense. Um, you know, from from a set. Is that kind of the role you see for Ivy where someone else would kind of bring the ball up, get them into a set, ideally lead them with pace um, and like get it start or, you know, get them into that. And then, you know, so I know you hate the term point guard, point guard by committee, but you do get, instead of having to rely on one person to do that, as well as pressure the rim, as well as pull up, as well as run all your pick and rolls, you've kind mm-hmm. of taken some of those responsibilities and given it to Ivy and then the other point guard responsibilities or to someone else yeah that's how it should be it should be spread out um the key is just you want to make sure you have a couple of guys you can rely on when things get dicey or when defensive pressure it, you if you're doing quote-unquote point guard by committee it has to be you don't want to 
be a team that's doing it by necessity. It, you want to be a team that's doing it by choice, right? Like, like Philly can have Maxi run some stuff. He's been doing it for a while before Harden got there. While Embiid was hurt, while Embiid got COVID, all that stuff. Now they have James Harden and Joel Embiid. So is Maxi never going to initiate? No, but he's still going to do it every now and then. So, you know, he's going to do it with bench units. There's a lot of ways you can change the configuration. So, yeah, it's even with this next team. In, in an ideal world, it would be IQ or, uh, or Deuce or Burks or whatever doing some of it. And then RJ doing most of it and Evan doing it some of the time. Um, so you just, you just gotta be comfortable switching it up. And the thing with this team is we go so damn slow that it's, we get one chance to, to run something and then that's it instead of, all right, like we ran something, the other defense, the defense blocked it, swing it quick. Somebody on the other side, tries something, but we don't do that sort of stuff. So, Yeah. And it's also. And that also, you know, when you talk, when people always complain, you know, Cam's in the corner and that's part of it, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you might be in the corner for one set when you can run two or three different things in one possession, you know, odds are he'll get a chance pretty frequently, right? And, and we see less of that. Um, so, I mean, I, th- I think we're all pretty much in agreement that Ivy is a slam dunk. Um, there's another guy who I did want to talk about um, in that range, but... Shout out Omar. We're going to go past him for a little bit. Um, but Matt, you had asked about Ty Ty Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as far as true point guard prospects go, you know, I use that term loosely because um, it can mean different things to different people. But he is, he is, and it's worth noting, Ty Ty himself doesn't, um, doesn't play point guard most of the time on Kentucky. Um, Sylvia Wheeler is their uh, point guard. But um, he kind of is that type of, you know, passer and uh, distributor. Like he he has that mindset. Um, and he, you know, if the Knicks don't have lotto luck, he is more likely to be there for them than Ivy, who they will need a little bit of, of luck. Um, Prez, what are your thoughts on Ty Ty? And is he someone you see fitting in with the Knicks? I mean, if we picked him, I think he could. I just would prefer not to pick him because... I think he's really similar to a lot of the guys that we have. Um, he's kind of like how IQ is this year. Like last year, IQ was, you know, he was a bucket. He was learning to pass, but he was mostly out there to, to get buckets. And Ty Ty has a, he's similarly to IQ now when IQ's not in a rut because his coach keeps pulling him or whatever. Um, he does a good job of using his jump shot. He doesn't really get to the rim, just like IQ. And he makes solid basic point guard passes. And, you know, this is not his first rodeo, just like it's not IQ's first rodeo. And, you know, that's that's good. He's probably, you know, it's hard to say if, if he'll be more or less balanced at it than someone like IQ or someone like Burks. He'll be fine. Um, and he's a really good shooter. And he's really smart. He's about the same size as IQ, like, 6'3", with long arms, probably a little bit less athletic, a little less fast and bursty, um, really ridiculous mid-range shooter. He'd be the the best mid-range shooter on the team by a lot, um, which isn't saying much. And, you know, that's a weapon that you like your point guards to have, so that would be cool on the Knicks. But I just don't think there's meaningful 
he's meaningfully better, if better at all, than guys like IQ or Deuce or Rokas, Yokobitis. So to me, it's kind of, I'm not, I'm not, I, I definitely think they should just pick whoever they think is the best, but I hope they don't think he's the best. <laughs> so, I mean, when you, so there's a couple of things there. One, I think the, like, so he's an excellent mid-range shooter. Um, doesn't take a ton of threes and hitting them 34. Well, he it's per hundred is 6.4 attempts. So it's not a small volume, but, um, you know, it's, he's, I mean, he's not gunning. I think for reference, IQ was at eight or nine, I think his mm-hmm. year before he got drafted, but he's at 34%. So not elite efficiency. <laughs> um, IQ just tried to draw foul on a shot from half court, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, um, but, um, so I was surprised. So one, I am of the opinion that the mid-range shooting will um, kind of translate. I think that he's, um, you know, I think that in general, I've talked, I was talking about this with someone about Malachi Branham, another good prospect, but if you can make those contested shots, you have good form from mid-range. It's not hard to see younger players extend that out at the time, unless there's like a weird uh, like way they build momentum or if it's like a rate, late release or something. Uh, so that's one thing, like, I mean, I, I think we're in agreement with that, but, you know, if you, how, how much does that concern you, his ability to extend his range? And two, you did mention that you think that his passing would be in, on par with someone like IQ, which is interesting because he has a pretty high assist rate. He's at 23%, which isn't bonkers like John Moran or something, but it's pretty solid for guard prospect and um, great assist to turnover ratio. Um, so... A, I would ask you those two things. And then the last one, I know this is a pretty bundled question, but I mean, how would you rank him versus the other prospects the Knicks have, right? So there's IQ, obviously, but there is Deuce, um, who I think both you and me think would be certainly knocking on the door of the lottery this year. I think you had him as a lottery prospect in a better draft last year. Um, Yokobaitis, I think a lot of people had said, would probably be um, in contention with Tai Tai as the best point guard in the draft. So yeah, I mean, you know, if we already have those things, does it make sense? And there's a lot of people who think the Knicks should just keep drafting point guards until they solve that problem, which I'm sympathetic to because it's been a problem forever. But uh, yeah, nah, if, if that's not you gotta you gotta be smarter than that. Um, not all not all drafts are the same. It's, it's there's no like people. Even I struggled with this. Like last year was a really good guard draft. This year's not a good guard draft. So, like there's no universal law that says the best point guard in every class has to be good, very good. There's no reason that has to be true. You know, like there's no, you could talk about probabilities and likelihood, but there's, it's not a requirement of anything. Right. So why, why, why can't last year have 10 guards better than the best point guard in this class? You know, you look at the 2008 draft where I had like Drew Holiday, Brandon Jennings, Ty Lawson, and like a zillion other point guards in the top Jordan 15. Hill. Wow, you didn't even mention stuff. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even mention that guy, right? Yeah, <laughs> or, we took Harden, yeah. fucking Jordan Hill. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't even want to dig up my posting and toasting comments from back then. Um, <laughs> but the, the, that's what I'm saying. Pe- people just, uh, they get stuck on expectations. And, you know, one thing with the draft is you got to, take each year kind of on its own and i i do think all three of the the guards you mentioned iq rokas and um and iq i think they're all better than tai tai as prospects i don't you know it's they're not like 
Michael Jordan, but they're better than him. It's not a crazy thing to say. He's not some can't miss prospect, whatever. So I, I mean, he's just not the, it's not the bet you want to make, mm-hmm. you know, this team is missing a lot. So don't, don't let your thirst blind you. Or if you do, if you are going to do that, use it, take a flyer on somebody else later or something like that. Um, yeah. And, and it's worth mentioning. I think we probably both agree. Like, I don't think this is anything to knock tie tie as a prospect no. as a whole it's just considering the Knicks context it's not going to really it's it's not a yeah it's not a smart bet to make versus your other ones and trying to kind of shore up elsewhere right so it's like you you any of us if we're looking for a job you want to go somewhere where you can fit in and where you will ideally have a chance to flourish and he wouldn't have that here so it's it's the it, even if you think he's awesome, it's like okay, what he's gonna play with seven other guards, six five or smaller? That doesn't seem like a good recipe to have the best tie tie Washington, right? Right? Like not much spacing, nobody bending the defense for him, except RJ, and so just don't set him up to fail. That's that's why I wouldn't want him. Let me ask you a philosophical question along those lines. Um, let's say the Knicks don't move up because they never do. Mm. And let's say whoever's behind them moves up, because that always happens. So let's say the Knicks end up drafting, like, ninth. Yeah. And I always think of this from a couple years ago. The specific example isn't isn't as important as the, the generality. The year that Kira Lewis came out in the draft, the Knicks were, as always, like, there was a lot of talk about point guards, and maybe Halliburton, maybe someone else, but, oh, my God, the Knicks have to get a point guard. And I remember reading a lot of people whose take on Kira Lewis, and again, I don't care how Kira Lewis has actually turned out. Um, it's more the philosophy. That was, that was my guy. <laughs> I, I, he, he was the one that I, I was like, you know what? I bet they can get Lewis. And I, I did a, a KTP on him and like was so excited about. And every time I look at the Pelicans fucking box score after a game, I'm like, damn, like he's still not playing. So let's say the Knicks, a lot of people that year were saying shit like, I like Kira Lewis, but I wouldn't take him at eight. I would take him like in the middle of the lottery. And a question I always have about that is like, if you have a position of need and there is a player available that you feel will fill the position and you know, intrinsically the draft is a crapshoot multiplied by a crapshoot multiplied by a crapshoot. Like it depends where you draft, who the teams around you need and take how a player develops how the rest of your like there's so many variables if if the Knicks were, were drafting at nine like do you ever feel that sense of like okay pl- players do slot into certain tiers and this guy might be good at 15 but you can't take him at nine but if you think he would fill the position at 15 is you know what i mean like you know what i'm getting at like so yeah I, i'm with you i don't I, I'm I'm not about that Brock Aller like oh we'll we'll do these maneuvers and trade back and my intel says that the, our guy will still I'm too shook for all that just take the guy you like especially if it's at the position you need keep yeah. it simple trust your scouts you know and and keep so you're taking Grant Riller at eight exactly <laughs> no there, if, if there if you know it's like way far you know obviously don't reach like crazy but within reason. Like, Kira's the perfect example. Like, he's not some guy who everybody was like, oh, he's probably going to go 29th or something. Like, no, everybody said he was going to go in the lotto probably. So mm-hmm. if you waited too long for him, there's a decent chance someone would scoop him up. 
Yeah, and I, I think one of the prime examples of that from that draft is probably Tyrese Maxey um, because he went 21st, but he had been talked a lot, especially early in the season as potentially top 10. I'd seen him mock top five. And then the shooting percentages didn't end up being great and all of that. And now that looks like he probably should have gone even higher than he was projected to. Um, I think that, um, so, you know, in that case, right, the Knicks don't get lottery luck. Um, you know, last year, what I would have said is the two big needs I thought the Knicks had were point guard and kind of one of those prototype wings, the kind of player we had hoped that, um, Kevin Knox would become. Um, so we, we got, we drafted two point guards last year. Um, we got not quite a prototype wing, but someone who can play that role a bit in Grimes. And we traded for Cam Reddish. Mm-hmm. Um, is that kind of what you're, and I imagine I have a feeling who you would mention <laughs> in the, that mold, but is that kind of what you would think the Knicks should target or should they not be t- thinking about need at all? I know you're high on a lot of bigs in this draft. Uh, is that how you think about it? Yeah, I don't think about need that much just because we got dudes at most positions for the most part, except center. Um, I mean, we have Mitch, but like we have to see what happens with that. So in terms of people, you know, 100 percent are going to be on the team next year. um, You know, we got guys at one through four, so you can only factor in needs so much. Um, To me, it's more about what kind of skills the team is missing. Right. So rim pressure is the obvious one. um, But other stuff like athleticism we don't really have even cam is cam is has quick hands but he's not really i mean i'd be surprised if he could jump over a backpack like he's just really tall and has long <laughs> arms he's got um, jam sport hops exactly you're right he's he's not really bouncy like that and nobody on here is 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 catching dunks in traffic or leaving guys in the dust off one step without like a, a fake or anything like that uh, we don't have guys who have that connective passing aside from maybe Grimes and Obi. Um, you know, people who, if they see a pass, will just no look, touch pass it to somebody else open, whether obvious or not. Um, you know, who will hit the cutter. We don't have cutters for, for that matter. So we don't have people with that kind of awareness and feel on offense. That's a missing skill. Um, so th- there's a lot that's going there. Um, I would be on the lookout. I would give slight bonus points for those things that we don't have, but I'm I'm mostly just looking at like, all right, say we pick ninth, you know, you you probably are not getting a Jaden Ivy or a Chet. So who do you think who has played really good basketball and you think will play even better basketball and maybe hopefully has some of those skills that would make them a really good fit and, you know, make them successful on this next team and future next team. So, you know, there's, no matter where we pick, there's going to be players who fit some of those bills because we need a lot of things. Same. <laughs> That's yeah. the good news. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, um, and by the way, I should note, there's two interesting developments. Deuce McBride is on the floor with Quickly and Barrett. And what? at the end of the quarter, Barrett just got, the, got up the floor in – there were five seconds left when the ball was inbounded. He got all the way to the rim and a foul with 27 seconds left. So, so was this one of those deuce situational subs? Like, we're here for the last possession. Uh, what it means is they're willing to play a reddish at the four instead of trying to put Taj out there. I don't know if he's healthy or not, but that's mm-hmm. an encouraging sign from Tibbs. But um, but given what you're saying, right, if we are eight or nine, um, I don't know if Keegan Murray will be there, but he's a guy. Um, I think that 
coincidentally, the kind of athleticism you're talking about, uh, and I do think I disagree on Cam's athleticism. I think he can jump a little bit higher than that, but I mean, he's not, um, you're not talking about some kind of insane athlete, but he's, he's probably one of the more athletic guys on the Knicks. But that said, there's Keegan Murray. I know I'm going to leave the guy who I think you're going to mention for you to say, but, um, you know, who are kind of the guys, you know, assuming we don't have a lot of luck and we do end up at nine, um, you know, who, who is your kind of, who are you focusing in on to, to use a Woj term? Well, the good thing is, like I said, there's so, the, to me, this draft is, is going to be very stress-free with my Knicks fan hat on. Because even even the Obi draft, like I didn't want Obi. There was a couple of players I really didn't want. Obi's done, you know, poo pooed in my face. Like he's he's done much better than I've expected. Even with him needing LASIK surgery, shooting blindfolded from the corner, launching cannonballs out of a trebuchet. But like aside, this draft, Tai Tai is pretty much one of the only few guys who I I would be like, oh no, if if we picked him, there's. You know, even Keegan, who who I don't know how you would fit him in with RJ and Julius and Obi. Is he strictly a four? Keegan? Yeah. I think Keegan can play can play three. He he versus the game versus Wisconsin. He spent most of the not most of the game. Um he spent a ton of time on John on Johnny Davis, Jonathan Davis. Anytime he wasn't on Jonathan Davis, Jonathan Davis was scoring like a zillion points. He scored like thirty something that game. But he was completely he's completely fine defending smaller guys um he's pretty flexible and and pretty nimble on his feet um but he, he's one of those guys who he's super talented but like i, I just don't know you what rj is going to play even with not tibbs rj is going to play 33 minutes a game julius is going to play 30 something minutes a game hopefully obi is going to play a bunch of minutes a game right so i mean is that the best best way to get a a player like that to flourish, no, but you can still do it. Um, Tari Eason is another big wing, 6'8", 6'9", long, athletic, um, the kind of athlete who I'm talking about that we don't have. Benedict Matherin, my Haitian-Canadian son at the University <laughs> of Arizona, is a superb athlete, and he's one where I'm like, Again, we have Grimes, and he's really good. To forget the vets, right, who are also talented, but, like, we have Grimes, who's really good. We have IQ, who's really good. So, like, we would – we have to find minutes for Mather, and if we draft – that's the thing. Pretty much no matter who we pick, we have to – the front office is going to have to get their shit together and do something because, I mean, you can send guys to the G League, like how the Warriors did with Moody or whatever, and that wouldn't be the end of the world, especially for the younger guys in the draft, but – there's too there's too many cooks in the kitchen and they're all good cooks so you gotta gotta do something there trade them for a super cook I don't know whatever <laughs> um, just looking at my thing here like Johnny Davis a two guard like would be wonderful different kind of two guard he does he's a funny one because he doesn't really fit any of he's not super athletic he's not some high field passer he's not some big athletic wingy dude. Watch out bucking. now. Omar's going to come after you in the chat. So. I know. I mean, I'd still be happy with Johnny because that's what I'm saying. He's a good example. Like, he doesn't fit any of those missing skills, but he's really good at basketball. So I'd be okay with that. The team we field next year is not going to be the final configuration of the Knicks. So whatever. Right. Like, you know, Duran, the center, that guy's freaking awesome. And he's like 
somehow 12 years old and 250 pounds like i'd be super happy if we picked him that'd be <laughs> awesome so real like i could go on and on all there's so many guys i'd be super happy with i'd be optimistic with i don't think there's many landmines yeah um so you mentioned a few guys there um let's let's start with davis actually um so davis is super productive um he's he's great on ball but seems to be more of a connector type so in terms, does he solve the Knicks rim pressure problem? Or, well, I think that if you, you said that even with Ivy, that's not a f- perfect solve. So but I guess the answer is not completely, but does he help that? Or is he a significant add to that? Um, yeah. And how do you see his game growing? Because he's a terrific shot maker from the mid range. I think his athleticism is a little underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, he obviously plays in a pretty terrible context at Wisconsin. Well, I shouldn't say that. They're a very good team. They don't have great spacing. I think you posted that they, you know, using I think a rudimentary metric that just the, in terms of threes attempted and and all of that, they're very low. So he's mostly doing all the work himself without much space. But he's got great craft. Um, do you see him? And I think, but I think that a lot of people think they don't not the, not quite a high ceiling because he's not like a freak athlete or anything like that. Um, what are, what are your thoughts kind of there? And and how does he fit in? I mean. Um, could you play him next to, you know, like, would you see him fitting in similar to Ivy the way Ivy would on the Knicks? Yeah. Ivy's just like the athleticism dialed up a notch, but Davis is, he's no slouch. And like you said, every, every game for him, he's playing in a crowd. Like, I don't know if y'all have ever played 21 with like over 10 people. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's what it looks like when I watch Wisconsin. I'm like, Oh, This is this is what we're doing today, and he every play he's like, oh, use the screen, sidestep, euro pump into the contact under the hoop, like, and I'm there's never there's never easy buckets, and part of that is because you know he's not explosive as Ivy or anything. Well, part of that is just because there's always like seventeen dudes in the paint, like there's nothing he could do about that. Mm-hmm. So um, that'll be better in the Knicks, and um, you know. He's really good at using screens, and because he's going to be playing with RJ and presumably a point guard of some sort, like he's not going to have to create out of thin air anyway. So, um, like it's great that Ivy can do that, but we don't, you don't need. You can still be good without that, um, and Davis is good without that. So, and like you said, I'm not, I'm not worried about him. He's really good at mid range shooting, and or at least taking mid range shots, and he doesn't take that many threes. But I'm not. I'm not really worried about that. I feel like teams are good at getting guys to shoot threes and guys tend to be happy to shoot threes. <laughs> you don't so. think he would get caught up in the log jam, I guess, the same way maybe Ty Ty would in terms of his position? Yeah, just because even though there's some overlap with Quickly, for example, because they both get minutes to two, um, Davis, he's like closer to build that Grimes and Barrett have. He's a, he's a big guy. He's like six five, sturdy. Um, I don't think he'd be competing for minutes at the one. Yeah, hmm. and and then um, so yeah, we, so I think that the next guy I want to talk about a little bit here, who you mentioned. Um, so I think you put in the chat. I think you're you're Ben Matherin Stan now, um, after one of his recent performances. Um, what um I mean so I think that the thing I think people have kind of he's become I don't want to say boring but a lot he of people boring. treat him you treat people treat him that way right 
Um, but I, because I think that he's not, I think people last year, he, there were, was more hype around him because he's a young guy. People didn't know he was going to declare, um, but he's like a 40% shooter with um, prototypical wing length or close to that, um, who was a good athlete, right? But he's not a, he's not an Ivy type athlete. Um, he doesn't create a ton, but he's, I think that that might be an understated part of his game. Um, you know, what, um, what are your thoughts kind of on, on Ben Matherin and, uh, how he might fit? So I used to be kind of a hater because to me, I'd be, I, the question I would ask is what are the chances he's better than Quentin Grimes? Cause I love Quentin Grimes. So yeah. <laughs> if the answer is, I'm not sure he's going to be better than Quentin Grimes, then I'm like, cool. I see the, I see the appeal. Let another team that has more use for that take that kind of similar with Ty Ty um and and quickly or whoever um but just watching a little more lately he's been showing a little bit more um in the in the way of those kind of he does a lot of things that signal he knows what's going on on offense and the good thing about players like that is as they develop tools, they still have that knowledge. So they get to leverage the tools they develop as pros better than somebody who's just like, oh, I my handle's better, but I don't know what's the best way to use it. Or, you know, I got stronger or faster, but I'm still going to do the same stuff I did when I was not as strong and fast, right? He, he gets tons of cuts, baseline cuts and other cuts, and he dunks the hell out of it because he jumps super high. He's a really good athlete and he uh, plays off the ball. So he comes off screens and shoots. He's really good at that stuff. Kind of like Grimes. And now he's doing a little bit of the way of he's doing some, what I like to call Lonzo stuff. Like he had a, ha- he had a play the other day where he barely got to half court and he threw a oop to his guy, another NBA prospect fishing for Loco. He does all these touch passes in the paint. And he also plays in the crowded paint, like Johnny Davis, Arizona always has, multiple bigs and all that so um yeah that's you know it goes back to what i was saying before okay so now you're talking about a player who does two things that no nick really does for the most part which is that lonzo kind of passing keep the ball moving passing grimes does that to be clear but he pairs that with crazy bounce which i mean obi has and i guess deuce has too now but uh Aside from those two, um, nobody else is really jumping like that. Like some of his dunks are like, especially in the open court, some of his dunks are stunning. So even though the fit isn't super clean, I'm like, you could, yeah, just let him back up RJ and Grimes and, you know, get something nice for Evan. I love Evan, but like, you can figure it out, whatever. So again, the fit for playing for minutes in the short term isn't always clean, but in terms of the skills he brings, that's the kind of stuff you like with RJ, right? Who do you want next to RJ? Somebody who could keep the ball moving so RJ could get the ball. Somebody who could space the floor for RJ. Somebody who's probably more athletic than RJ, but also long and strong so he could defend players when you want to conserve RJ. And all of that is Benedict Matherin, so why not? And he's Canadian. Yeah, that that helps too. Um, and um, in terms of... Um... Yeah. In terms of um, the last guy, I think you'd mentioned in terms of the wings is uh, is Terry Eason. Um, so I can we can ease on into that oh part of the convo. <laughs> Nicely done. Uh, I know you're so good at that. <laughs> yeah. We're, I, 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 given gift. <laughs> I guess so. 
I was blessed. <laughs> um, <laughs> with um, with Eason, um, so he's a guy I know, I know you've been pretty high on. He's a little bit of a draft Twitter kind of aficionado this year. I would say he's one of the main draft Twitter guys where um, probably a little bit higher than most mocks are. Is, is a lot of draft Twitter guys are. Um, so, he, you know, he's definitely he's a box plus minus guy who does really well, shows up well in that. Um, great defender, switches multiple positions. Um, I think, you know, LSU, I remember last year I watched them against Michigan and they were just atrocious on defense. They had some athletic guys. Cam Thomas has looked much better as a pro, for example. Um, Trenton Watford was lost as a defender. He's kind of carved out his role in Portland as a small ball five, but they were, they were atrocious on defense. I think they were 125th or something in Ken Palm. This year, they're, I think, second, or they've been top three or four all year. Um, and I think they have multiple good defenders. Um, I know they have Darius Davis from last year is pretty good. Um, they have Judge, who's, who's a pretty promising freshman, but definitely seems like Eason is at the middle of a lot of that. Um, but having said that, he doesn't, you know, the shot is still, you know, it's a low release. Um, he has like a nice, he flashes nice handle and those kind of skills, but he, there isn't the picture of a complete offensive game and what that might look like at the next level to me, isn't quite there yet. Uh, or I think that that's a lot of the criticism, but, um, but yeah, to tell me about, uh, tell me about Eason. He, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head right there. He has all these extremely awesome pieces, but it's kind of a weird question mark. To scouts and it's actually true in defense too um i'll give you an example so if you watch Eason, if you pay attention to only Eason when you watch lsu on defense you'll see pretty much the same thing every game which is like a combination of brilliance and also indifference and then him getting subbed for said indifference because coach don't play that and then put back in because his coach knows he needs him and uh, and great instincts at the same time. So he'll abandon his man, and he'll be like, "Where's he going?" And and then he's like intercepting some pass or blocking some shot. And then other times he'll get out. He'll get out hustled or be ball watching like once or twice a half. And it's really annoying. He gets up. He'll be upright and on it flat on his feet quite often. And you and then you just when you're watching that, you're like, this guy has a whatever, like a 7% block rate and a 5% steal rate or something preposterous and wow. insane defensive metrics. Yeah, he's like a statistical marvel, and he's just chilling half the time. So I'm like, bro, like, imagine <laughs> if this dude was locked in. Tibbs would probably send this guy into the East River, but like Tibbs won't be here, so we don't got to worry about that. But um, he's a... On the Believe Nick's podcast. There you go. I mean, I, I'm just a messenger, all right? So, uh, and then on offense, like you said, he's he's also kind of sometimes indifferent and just flat on his feet. Um, but he's really big and athletic and gets, he's very forceful and extremely strong. And he's good with the ball in his hands. So he can, um, he doesn't have fancy handle. And it looks honestly real basic and kind of doofy. But it's kind of like, you know how RJ just like wills his way to the rim? That's kind of how Tari is. He's just like, no, nah, I want to drive today. And none of y'all going to do anything about it because I'm bigger and stronger than all of you. And that's what he does. And But he's tall and he has really long arms. So it's easy once he gets close to the rim. And 
And he is a pretty high-end athlete, right? Probably. Yeah, he's yeah. Like he's caught a, a couple of crazy posters on people this year. So, um, he, But at the same time, this guy never passes. And he has, like, no left hand at all. So I'm like, how does he keep being this productive when he's chilling half the time? He has no left hand. He never passes. But he finds a way. And that's what I'm saying. Like, he's... There's a lot of polishing to do there, but the the tools are so insane. And the fact, to me, I see the production so high despite the surface being so unpolished. And I'm like, what what does this guy look like if you can, if he, if you know he's going to be productive, even roughly polished? Like, what does it look like later, refined? That's the swing I'm taking. Mm-hmm. If and I'm not in the top five, is there a development path of a? I mean, comps can be. Comps can be dangerous, but is there a development path that you see from a former player or for current or former player that would be kind of ideally what, how Eason would develop? I don't even know, man. Let me let me pull up my my disrespectful comparisons Google Doc, which is where I'm like workshopping a lot of this stuff. I haven't. I don't even have anything for Tari here because it's just I literally just have a question mark because I don't even. It's so weird. Uh, Who's big, really good at driving, but and getting downhill, but he, he can sometimes do it from a standstill. But he's probably not the best offensive player, so he's not initiating and athletic. Julius Randle, kind of like that. Maybe like like a slimmer version of older Julius. I don't. I don't. It's uh, who's a big ass slasher? Aaron Gordon. I don't know. Uh, Gordon's more of a. Swiss Army knife though, because he can pass and if Aaron Gordon was like I was I was like I just care about buckets and getting steals and blocks. Maybe like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. There is another guy I want to give Prez the chance to uh to to talk about, but uh Matt, did you uh do you have any you know before that? I don't know if this is gonna go in the same direction or not, but I wanted to ask Prez like I am I'm done with um centers who cannot shoot outside of a dunk like i'm done with it um you never watched instagram mitch (laughs) i was done with instagram mitch a long time before i was done with actual mitch but let's say that you know let's say mitch leaves and let's say that um the obvious narrative replacement of harlem's own mo bamba does not join the knicks despite the fact that in my heart i keep holding out for it is there um are there bigs who could be available to the Knicks um, in this draft in the lottery who would present a different type of player than Mitchell Robinson and also maybe someone that we grow to be happy is here succeeding Mitchell Robinson? Yeah, I'm a big Jalen Duren fan. Um, he's the best center in the top 10. Uh, well, that's not true. He's the <laughs> To me, Chet doesn't have a position, so he's like this weird pterodactyl. So uh, Chet... Aside from Chet, Jalen Dern's the the best center. And if you watch his highlights and all that, you you see kind of the Mitch vibes. I'm like, okay, he's blocking shots, he's dunking, he's not really shooting from threes. But if you watch him in the game, he definitely does some stuff that Mitch he's a short he loves short roll passing, Jalen Dern. Mm-hmm. He doesn't get that many opportunities to do it because their offense is kind of weird and they don't have like pull up threat point guards like that to attract attention at the three point line. But he loves he loves short roll passing so much. He's one of those dudes who does 
fake no look passes, like, yo, we know where you're passing the ball. And then you just turn your head because he's impressed with his own. He's like, oh, peep this from the free throw line, diving to the corner. And we're like, we know you're throwing it to the corner, bro. But that, that's my kind of player right there. I like that. Yeah. He's enjoying he, himself while he's out there. Yeah, he's he's super fun to watch. He's always energy on on a hundred. The garden would love him. Um he he's not some like Horford level super genius passer or anything like that, but he's definitely not the opposite end, which is like Mitch. And mm-hmm. you know, he 30, like low-key, low-key. I'll throw some stats out for y'all. 36% of his shots are two-point jumpers. And he doesn't shoot that much. <laughs> but 36% of his shots are two-point jumpers. And he shoots 41% on them, um, which is pretty good. He also shoots 61% from the line, which is pretty bad. But earlier in the season, he was close to 50. So uh, I guess he's getting better. Um, so they would definitely have to do some work there if they want to get some, some perimeter shooting. But... In terms of like one dribble stuff, you can do that. Um, you know, your basic post up moves and seals and things that Mitch doesn't really do, he can do that. So, um, I, I, he's, I don't think anybody would ever confuse him for a skill based center. He's mm-hmm. 250 pounds, six foot 11, not going to be 19 until after the draft. But, um, there's no reason he can't do some of that stuff as he gets older. Um, Another center, probably a little bit after the lottery, who does has flashed the ability to shoot from outside. Um, I'm not going to say E.J. Liddell because I know you probably don't think he's a center. But um, I know you, <laughs> you've talked about Walker Kessler a little bit, who um, you know has flashed. He's one of the better shot blockers in college basketball, big guy with a lot of length, um, and has flashed the ability to shoot. Uh, and sometimes like that can be tricky, right? You know, big man maybe gets freedom in college but isn't someone you can see stroking the ball from deep um, in the pros. Um, what are your thoughts on Kessler? Um, I mean, Duran is probably more in the Knicks range, but Kessler seems to have that kind of intriguing, especially if you are looking for someone to play next to Randall who can both protect the rim and maybe stretch the floor a little bit. Do you buy the shot from Kessler? Do you think he'll be that kind of a player? Or, um, you know, is he kind of benefiting maybe from, from being on a pretty stacked team and um, in the college environment? Um, I mean, he's a re- he just has the best shot blocking season since they started recording that stuff. So, like, not including Kareem and Wilt and all those guys, I'm sure. But um, uh, as a floor spacer, he's one where I it's hard for me to tell. So I don't really know. He shot as a senior. I found his high school some of his high school stats. He shot like 33 for 90 something. Um, so he shot decent from three for a center, which is part of why he was a top 25 player in the country who went to UNC. Um, And then he put away his three-point shot at UNC, and then he brought it back out barely at Auburn. He doesn't take a lot of them, but he will shoot it. Um, But that thing looks kind of ugly, though, so I don't don't know. But he's consistent with it, so I mean, maybe it'll go in. Uh, I know from the jump, though, if I'm another defender, I'm not respecting it. For at least the whole rookie season. I don't care, bro. <laughs> if I'm not respecting Miles Turner from three, I'm definitely not respecting Walker <laughs> Kessler from three. Right. Um, but he could he could become that for sure. He's a little older than someone like Darren too, so um uh he he's probably well Darren's such a savant 
in terms of shot blocking. So I won't even say Walker Kessler, like he gets a lot of blocks, but he does a lot of stuff that people who get a lot of blocks do. Right. So like he jumps on pump fakes a lot. Um, he gets, he gets overly excited to, to do that. So he'd have to rein some of that in, but I mean, if they got a second pick somewhere in the late first or early second and nabbed him, that'd be pretty cool. I wouldn't be mad at it. And, and in that vein, I mean, the Knicks have a ton of young guys. They use three draft picks or four draft picks last year. Um, three draft picks last year, right? Uh, no, no, four, four. They used four draft picks last year. Um, we don't know if Rokas is going to come next year or the year afterwards. Um, do you think it'd be worth trading back if, you know, if they are in that range after maybe some of the top guys are gone? Um, you know, if someone like Eason isn't really their guy, maybe it be worth trading back or do you just see that like, you know, there's no good options. Memphis, I think has three picks mm-hmm. so that might be a team. Um, but you know, is it even worth the Knicks trading back for, for picks this year, unless maybe they get it last year. Uh, I'm sorry. If they can kick one down the road or something or get a future pick. I mean, take the phone calls and see what you can get, but I'm not crazy about it. Um, Cause kicking down the, kicking the can down the road is cool, but like, the way this draft is, if you're picking inside the top 10, you're going to get somebody good. You might not get a freaking all-star guarantee or something like that, but um, you'll get someone solid. So um, there's possibly, you, if you think there's somebody who's top 10 quality and you can get them at 16, then sure, trade back. That's all a matter of opinion, right? We saw that last year. They... They maneuvered around because the guys they wanted, they could get later. And a lot of people were like, uh, like underwhelmed, whatever, whatever. But the evaluation was correct. So it worked out. You could do that. And if the evaluation doesn't work out, it's a huge shit show. (laughs) So it's just a matter of how confident are you that you'll pass up on somebody like Matherin or Keegan or... Sohan or Eason or Johnny Davis, you know, if you think someone like, I don't know, Jovic or Ty Ty or Dyson Daniels or whoever is equally awesome, maybe you're right. I don't know, man. I, I This is why I always kind of defer when I see teams do this and I'm, I'm like, I have my opinions on players, but I'm like, if you think you can get the player who's high on your board later, you should do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I think that um, and they've the Knicks have been pretty creative. I've personally been thrilled with both their their drafts so far. Um, I don't think they've really missed on a pick. Some people might say that with Obi, and then I have seen people be like, "We should have taken Desmond Bain over quickly," which at the twenty fifth pick, I don't think that's a very reasonable criticism. But they've definitely been very creative with their process, and the evaluation certainly seems to be a little bit more rigorous than. Maybe it has been in years past. Um, so I did want to ask you, um, if we were picking at the back of the first round, or if they managed to get a pick back there, um, you know, there is a player you've, you, you, I think your Twitter handle or your Twitter name and every group that you've invited me to uh, about the draft. And pretty much, I think a lot of your tweets are about a certain player from Wake Forest. Uh, do you want to talk about him, uh, Alondis Williams? Yeah, I love Alondis Williams. <laughs> and here's your here's your point guard swing. Like you can do it later because everybody keeps saying he's not gonna go in the first round. Um 
because he's 23 years old and he's shooting 30% from three, which is for a guard, not, not some, not a combo you're usually excited about. Um, but he's six foot five, very athletic and can probably get more athletic. Um, let me find my tweet. He's one of the best in the country at getting to the rim um, on his own with his combination of strength and handle and athleticism. And he has great handle, um, which is the whole rim pressure thing that we're looking for, right? Um, usually players that are really good at that are really flawed at other stuff or they're very short and, you know, are just really athletic, like Saban Lee or something. But he's... He's not a 30%. He's shooting 30% for three, but he's a better three-point shooter than that, um, in my opinion. He's a really good mid-range shooter. He's not that great of a free-throw shooter, to be honest. So, like, there's, I'm not going to disagree if somebody's a little less rosy on his shooting projection, but um, but it looks all right to me. So I think he'll be a I fine three-point shooter. So when you talk about, you know, a guy who's 6'5", uh, good passer, maybe a little bit of an – I wouldn't say – so I think unorthodox is a word I've heard used a lot with Alondis in terms of his playmaking style. Um, I haven't watched enough of him. Uh, I watched him against Duke. Um, he had a good second half, not a great first half. Um, is I mean, Dewante Murray seems to fit that bill, right? Kind of more methodical, a little bit more of a throwback guy. Um, I mean, he's a great mid-range shooter. Maybe that's a differentiator. But Dewante Murray till now, or DeJounte, sorry. DeJounte Murray till now hasn't... Um, that hasn't really extended his range. Um, uh, is that, um, you know, is that the kind of player Williams projects to be? Does he project as a starter in your opinion? Um, they definitely have some similarities. Uh, Murray's handles crazy coming into the NBA, um, even more than Alondis. Um, I don't think he was as refined coming in, but he was also much younger coming in again, like, Murray's 25 now, and uh, and Alondis is 23, so he's not even that much older than Alondis. So um, I'm sure if you put Murray two years ago on Wake Forest, he would average similar crazy numbers. Um, but yeah, that the idea of a point guard who's really good at making quick passing decisions and putting his guys in positions to succeed, but maybe not spacing the floor quite as much but able to get to the rim a lot and uh stuff like that i think there's definitely some similarities there if you want to call him like bodega murray i might have to steal that actually like but that. Uh, um, he's definitely they I, I didn't think about that as a comp but there's some similarities there um it, murray has developed into a very controlling passer to the point where sometimes it's almost rondo ish where i'm like you you're eschewing a good pass for a for a better pass that might not come and sometimes it hurts your team um alondis doesn't have that problem alondis's problem is he's so ambitious that sometimes it's just like you don't every swing doesn't need to be a home run swing but alondis like as soon as he sees the back of a defender's head he's like oh my guy's cutting i'm flinging it flinging it one-handed to 75 miles an hour like <laughs> hope they catch it or whatever and so he's just so audacious with his passing that most of the time is a good idea but sometimes it's not a good idea which is why he turns the ball over a lot um and you don't really see that kind of stuff from murray these days but aside from that yeah there's some similarities and um so i mean 
there's also um so the Knicks have recently had experience with a point guard who really struggles to shoot from outside. <laughs> um to say the least, I'm not comparing him to Alfred Payton. Um but Alfred Payton was a a lot of GMs were enthralled in the draft because of his combination of size and defense. I think he led the NCAA in steals. Yeah, he was um, the defensive player of the year in his um conference and he if you look at the same unassisted rim metrics, he has some of the highest numbers of all time. Yeah. And I mean, one thing he did well at the Knicks was get to the rim, right? It was mm-hmm. kind of what happened there. Um, but beyond the shooting, you know, do you see in terms of Williams being able to, you know, if he can't provide that shooting, provide some of that all around impact, um, you know, both as a defender, maybe as maybe even having enough rim pressure to make the shooting not even matter and be able to finish really well against length of those kind of things on offense. Yeah. On offense, I don't think he'll ever be as bad of a shooter as um, Murray was for early in his career or Elphis at any point in his career. And he's a phenomenal, phenomenal finisher. Um, and I think that'll translate in the NBA. He's not the player that either of them was on defense in college, which is the main separator. He could, he has tools and, he can be good. He's he's kind of a weird defender. He's uh he gets cooked like one on one. The guys can get past him. He has like a it feels like he reacts a little bit slow, but he's also really good at other things. Like he's even though he's a big dude, he turns into like a ballerina around screens. Like he's like impossible to screen, and it's not because he's trucking through the screen. He's just super nimble for no reason, and then off ball he kind of sees similar to his offense he sees things happen really fast so he's often in the right place off ball but he's not he's not in the same planet as murray as a defender or even elf when he tries um which was not often on the knicks um so that's the other knock right so like you're ultimately you're talking about 23 year old who has 70 percent from the free throw and uh, 30% from three and is uh, okay defender, maybe. That's not that appealing, right? Like, if I just throw that out there uh, on, a, on a piece of paper, are you interested? No, not really. But, you know, you gotta look, you gotta look at the whole, the whole picture, and, and I think he's worth a gamble. I'm not saying the Knicks should take him with their first pick or anything like that, but I wouldn't be mad if they took him and threw him in the G League. The other thing that I that I will admit is like a point of consideration is that I, I'm actually learning this a little bit from OB and also just in general, but like most guys shooting improvements come before the age of 23. It still happens later for guys. It happens all the time throughout history, but like it's harder to, it's less likely to get a lot better when you're older. So um, you, if somebody was like, but who, but Prez, like Alondis is, is, is already 23 and, and and he's still a mediocre shooter. That's like a legit argument for for letting somebody else take that gamble. I still not moving me. I'm taking that gamble, but I can see somebody else being persuaded. <laughs> I got three questions. It's my little pres. It. It's my my pres trio. Um, one is who is the in your estimation the highest rated player in this draft? Chet. Yeah, yeah, I love Chet. I think he's weird and awesome. Big fan. What? Who is the highest rated player you have ever 
scouted? I mean, I started paying attention to the draft for reals probably in the Kristaps draft or the who's the number one pick in the year before the Kristaps draft? Andrew uh, Wiggins. That yeah, was so, off the draw. I just have to look that up. <laughs> I, that, I know that's come up in a recap somewhere, so I had that one. <laughs> I definitely paid attention to the draft before that, but like the KP draft was the one where I really started to to dig in. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's probably uh, Luca and Zion and Cat. Those are the three. And tell me someone who either became like so much greater than you ever imagined they could be, or someone who stands out to you was like was destined to be something that they really have not been. Um. I was there's a couple of guys I was stupidly low on in retrospect. Um two that always jump out to me and I've learned a lot of lessons from both are Jason Tatum and John Morant. Um mm. I was definitely maybe some may have characterized my behavior as haterish, but uh <laughs> some there's definitely some like ana- just scouting and analytical lessons that I've learned from the two of them. Like Jason Tatum was like took tough mid-range shots and the shooting was like eh but i underrated his athleticism i underrated his size i overlooked both of those things i underrated how much coach k shenanigans duke offense kind of held him down um i remember later going back and looking at his high school tape mcdonald's all-american tape and seeing his completely insane ball handling shot making combo and i was like where the hell was this um, because Coach K didn't let him do and one mixtape moves, right? But that's basically what he does in the NBA. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, now I look at that high school tape and I look for their handle <laughs> just in case <laughs> their coaches are old curmudgeons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and John Morant, I mean, I just, I just don't overthink it, right? Like the guy's an incredible passer, athlete, rim pressure guy, jaws free throws like nuts, like there was four giant shining gold green flags right there. And yeah, I had concerns about his defense like everyone else and his size and frame like everyone else. But like if someone is that good at several important things, cause I wasn't even that low on his shooting. Like his form was weird, but I was like, this isn't broken. So hmm. uh, those are two guys who got better than I thought in very short order. Um, Somebody who I thought was going to be super awesome and then wasn't. Um, I won't talk about Grant Riller because that was more of a hot take. Um, uh, I'm, I'm like blanking right now. Uh, Prez doesn't miss. That's the. <laughs> no, I, I those are my. Yeah. Just those so. are my haterish misses. I'm trying to think of who I, I had. You were high on Killian, right? A lot of us were. Yeah, that's a good one. That's, I mean, it's still early in his career, but that's a really good one. Um, Killian, Jared Culver, um, it's another one. I had him ahead of RJ. I had him number two. Both of those guys have something in common. Um, they or jump shots got worse when they entered the NBA. Mm. Um, oh, you get throw Dennis Smith Jr. in that combo. Dennis Smith Jr., yep. Yeah, <laughs> I was super high on him. Also, coincidentally actually not a coincidence the opposite of a coincidence 
Um, he also, his jump shot got worse in the NBA. So, I mean, I actually don't feel that bad. I feel more bad about undervaluing the guys I had after them than I do about overvaluing them. Because I'm like, yo, if their jump shots didn't get busted, maybe they wouldn't have been as good as I thought, but they wouldn't have been this bummy. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, they they all got, I mean, Culver, that thing is so broke. But Killian, he has time to, to fix it. He's barely, is he 20? He's not even 20. So, like. He's very yeah, young, yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's interesting you note that being like an area where maybe you're, you know, that's where kind of, I don't know you say susceptible, but that can be kind of the, the, and so much of that can depend on the right development staff, um, mm-hmm. even Giannis, right? Giannis worked with a trainer who kind of messed up his shot, which looked a lot more fluid early in his career, um, which made, which turned Giannis into a bust, of course. Um, but, <laughs> um, but um, I mean, I was thinking about this a little bit more like recently, like, I think that for me, like, you know, everyone has kind of, I wouldn't even call it biases so much as things you're drawn to. Mm. So for me, and this is probably why we get into it a little bit about like the position <laughs> stuff. Cause I, I like, it's not even about the positionless stuff to me is like, I like kind of odd mixes of skills and tools. Mm-hmm. So that's the reason why I like EJ Liddell, right? Because he's, he doesn't look like any prototype. He's, He's got a two and a half, he averages two and a half blocks per game, shoots 40% from three. He's like a big dude, but pretty athletic, but also not, you know, but also mobile. Puts the ball on the floor. Uh, it's why I liked Poku a lot, right? Uh, that's why I like Chet. It's why I like John Butler is one of my favorite guys. Just like these odd mix of skills. Because I think like they can create interest. And I think that the Knicks are not necessarily the best fit for this right now with Tibbs because they don't experiment and, and try funky things. Um, but do you have, I mean, I know there's the Presbate thing, right? With dudes with like crazy handle and, and um, that kind of creation ability. Um, are those, maybe you can call it a bias, you can call it, but are those certain types of things, are there certain types of things that you feel like you're drawn to um, perhaps more than others for better or worse when, when evaluating some of these prospects? Um, I mean, guys with flashy handle, I, I love, but I know to also be careful because of that um like uh sometimes i'll rank those guys really highly but sometimes i'll have them really low and just enjoy them with their low rankings as well um aside from that i don't know if i really have a type um i i try to look at the stats first then go look at film then go look at other people's takes that order doesn't always happen because I'm lazy, but uh, I don't know. I feel like doing that order. I, I don't. I, I I'm more aware of blind spots than I than I am of things that I hone in on. And like over the years, it's just like the process of figuring out blind spots you didn't know you had. Um, like with RJ. There's like a zillion posts of me on posting and toasting being like, what is RJ's elite skill? But like the strength counts as an elite skill. His ability to get to the rim super often, despite whatever you want to say about his handle being maybe lesser or his burst being lesser, like, okay, he still gets to the rim a ton. Still a good skill. Um, An elite skill. And manufacturing points that way and field goals that way is an elite skill too right like i i'm 
I remember getting into it with some people about like, why isn't Isaac Okoro a better prospect than RJ Barrett? They're the same size. Isaac's a better defender, a better athlete. They both can't shoot. Isaac's a better passer. And the, the, the baked in assumption that I, that I tried to challenge people with is like, you can't just magically turn up Okoro's aggressiveness style and have him take 18 field goal attempts. It'll never happen. At the average Isaac Okoro game is great defense. Five of, like nine from the field, four free throws, and that's a good game, and that's cool. That's who he is right now. Maybe he gets the ability to shoot more shots later, but like, you can't just assume certain things like that. So I like that was my way of learning to eliminate that that blind spot, and so that's part of you know to take it full circle back to the initial question that uh, Miranda asked me at the jump. But like, the whole process. That's why it's so fun to me and fascinating to me is when I whiff, I get to learn stuff as corny as that sounds. So um, it makes me be able to be that much more insufferable and smarter the next go around. So <laughs> it's just like a never ending cycle of whiffing and then learning and getting hits, which feels cool because then you feel smart and seeing players, you know, get better at the game, which is always fun. So uh so yeah, there you go. Any more questions, Stacy? No, I, I mean I think President I could nerd out about all of this <laughs> stuff for a long time. So uh, I think that seems like a pretty good place to. Uh, unless you had anything else, Matt. No, I gotta get I gotta get jumping on this recap now. Um, Prez, thank you so much for being on the show today. You want to tell um, our listeners where they can follow you, where they can find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Presidente with a Z. And you can find my stuff on the strict.land. Um, March Madness kicking off. So uh, we got some got some good stuff uh, cooking in the kitchen for y'all. Yeah, and shout out Prez, 2,000 uh, followers now. So congrats on 2,011 uh, followers, you peasants. <laughs> 2011, a simpler time. Um, and uh, Prez also hosts yesterday's uh, price is not today's price. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Prez also hosts Pod Strickland. Um, when I'm not co hosting it with Schwinn and when Schwinn isn't going solo, so you can also catch him there. Yeah, and on Draft Strickland, I should probably mention that. Mm. That's right. Very cool. All right. Well, Knicks are in a close game at the half, so that'll end in about 10 minutes. They play Sunday at the Clippers. And then Monday at Sacramento. We'll probably come back with you by Monday because that's kind of shaping up to be like the next Super Bowl, sadly. So I think we're going to want to make sure that we have something to say about that Kings game. So I thought you meant the game will be over in about 10 minutes because of their third quarter habits. That is exactly what I meant. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) We all all know what's about to happen. so yeah, that'll be that. Um, Stacy, they had us in the first half. Not gonna lie, right? so, <laughs> was that? They had us in the first half. Not gonna lie, that's like a recurring theme for the Knicks for the last <laughs> X number of games. So. It's been a, it's been a while. It's been a fun stretch. Um, thank you, Prez, for giving us a little time to think about that future that never actually gets here. Um, and peace, everybody. We will see you in a few days. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.